been a continued reminder that God is faithful. Uh, and and there's, my, there's my segue into what we're going to talk about uh, today. Um, <clears throat> because my family and I, we have found ourselves in a lot of transition in the last two years. Uh, a ton of transition, if you will. Uh, it has felt like we've been in transition for almost two years. And uh, if you've been in transition at all in the last seasons of your life, to be feeling like you're in transition for two years, man, that's tiring. I'm tired. Um, and yet, God has continued to remind us in many ways to show us that he's true to his character, that he is faithful always. And so I'm gonna, we want to dive into a story um, here in a little bit that reveals how God is faithful and true. But you guys need to know um, a little bit of more of our, of our story before I dive into that. Into that. Um, and I share this story not because anything that we've gone through is that, that great or that traumatic or that hard in and of itself, but it has been a, a season for us to remember, a season for us to be reminded that God is faithful. So I served at that church for seven years. Uh, and it was, it was great. Um, we, we got to see some great successes. We had great friends and community, uh, friends that had become family. It, it was somewhere that uh, if, you, if we were going to pick somewhere to be, it was somewhere that we wanted to be. But for about the last two years that I was there, a year and a half to two years, I just continued to feel this stirring of what's next. What's next? Like God had something next for me, something next for us as a family to do. We weren't sure what those things are. We explored a few options here and there. And then finally one day, not at work, not on my work time. I wasn't looking at job boards or anything. Um, <clears throat> that never happens. But I was on uh, the 3CA website, which is the Christian Camping Conference Association website. And, and camping has been a big part of my background and um, it's wonderful. I love camp. And so we're, I was looking, what, what are the jobs are out there? What, what are the things? And this, this verbiage had been swirling in Rachel's and my life was that we wanted to do ministry together. How do we do ministry together? And believe it or not, there was a, a camp crazy enough out there to post a job that they were looking to hire a couple to come and be the program director and the guest group coordinator for their camp. It was like it was speaking to me. And... Uh, so I told Rachel about it, was thinking about it, and all of a sudden I asked her to clean up, you know, to dress up and, and renew her resume, and I did mine, and, and we sent them off. We're like, did we really just do that? Did we just apply for a job? Which, like, you know, applying for a job is one thing, but this job was at a camp just outside of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, this camp was not in our backyard. This camp was not somewhere in the state of Minnesota. It was in Richmond, Virginia. To be clear, actually, it was in a town that has the best name ever, uh, in a town called Goochland, Virginia. Um, I won't wreck some of the names that are around that area, but if you are bored, just pull out Google Maps and zoom in to just west of Richmond. There's a town called Goochland, and just enjoy the names of the towns around there, because I'm not sure what's in the water in Virginia, but they have a really unique way of naming towns. Uh, one of, one of them is Short Pump. Like, who? Short Pump? Uh, anyways. Uh, Virginia. So uh, we went through this, this pretty long interview process. We had multiple couple-hour-long interviews with the camp director uh, individually and together as a couple. Uh, we had an interview with 
a couple members from their board and a couple members from their uh, summer staff. It was a long process, and, and um, I felt very pursued. We felt very pursued by this camp. We felt like God was kind of lining up all the things. Even the details of selling uh, our house in order to move, God was in those details. Like, just, just, oh, man, I can't believe that this actually happened. But we did a bunch of work to our house, and the day we listed our house on the market, like the day it went live on the market, my roof leaked. It hadn't leaked the entire four years we lived there. My roof leaked right in the kitchen, like in the middle of the kitchen. I'm not really sure what happened. Honestly, we, we kind of got it. We kind of got it fixed, uh, put it on the market, and, and we disclosed that late, like in the game, that it leaked, and my house sold in 24 hours at asking price without an inspection. I'm not really sure how that, how that happens. Um, but those were just confirmation of details that God was in this, that God was being faithful to say, I'm taking you to this place. We obviously, we accepted the job, um, and we sold our house, and we got things ready to go, and this church who loved us, who we loved, um, were so good to us in that exit, and and our last Sunday, we closed on our house Monday morning, and then started our drive to Virginia, and Sunday after church, they threw us a a goodbye uh, send-off party, and... um, that was harder than I like to admit that it was emotionally. And um, we received, like, the largest stack of cards that I've ever received in my life. And, and please hear me. I'm not sharing this to, to gloat by any means. I, I, this is, it, there's a point to this. Um, we finished that party, and we went to a neighboring town to Cross Lake. We stayed in a hotel for the night. Again, uh, Ray is a fish, uh, so hotels have pools, and pools are like a good thing for Ray. So we went to this hotel and, and began this process of actually exiting this town and exiting this community that we had been a part of for a long time. And uh, it was a difficult night. Ray didn't really understand what was going on. There was a lot of emotions for Rachel and I, and I, I put them to bed, and uh, in my heart and in my head, I knew that I just had to, I had to have like clear closure that day. And so I took the entire stack of cards and went out to the lobby of the hotel and found this couch. And I just one by one opened these cards and read every single one of them. And I was doing pretty good for a while. I mean, this was a this was a pretty thick stack of cards. Uh, but then there was there was one card from a lady named Penny who had just been a dear sweet friend. Um, and a supporter and, and an advocate the entire time we were at Riverview. Uh, and she had just consistently dropped me handwritten cards over the seven years I was there to just encourage me and to speak affirmation into the growth that God was doing in my life. And I opened her card. I didn't know it was her card. And like what she said, just, I mean, the, it was like the spigot got turned on and just like the weeping began. And so here's this ginormous bearded dude in the lobby of a hotel in Cross Lake, Minnesota, just like crying as he reads 20 more cards and trying to figure out what's going on. And, and it was really difficult. But I needed that moment, that, that time and space to say, I'm going to read all of these. I'm going to have this, this memory in my head that I took the time to read all of these Remarks of thanks, all of these remarks of encouragement, all of these remarks of, of continued prayer for myself and for my family as we went on this journey, as we went on this adventure. Um, <clears throat> 
But um, I used opening all those cards for a reason. But I did not know that reason at the time. I, I, you know, I was doing this for a reason, but I, I was unplanned in my mind of what I was doing. I needed a definitive moment in time to look back to, to say that chapter had ended and God had reminded us that he had been faithful to us and that he was going to continue to be faithful to us as we went forward. And that's where we find the nation of Israel here in the story that we're going to be in today. Uh, Today, we're going to spend some time in the book of Joshua. So if you guys have your Bibles, I would encourage you guys to open to Joshua chapter 4. Charlie's also going to put it on the screen for us here in a second as we read the first seven verses of Joshua chapter 4. But these are the verses we're going to read. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about most of chapter 3 and chapter 4 together today, but we'll read these um, together. It says this, verse 1, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it, crossed, uh, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Man, this is, this is a, a short little part of this story, but there's some really important things that are said in this passage. Um, first, and honestly... I caught it late in the week as I was reading this passage again and again. Right away, in the, in the first part of this, it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. This is the first time in the canon that the Israelites are referred to as a nation of people. Before this, they're referred to the people of Israel or, or the, the tribe of Israel, but this, this is the first time they're referred to as a nation as they are about to cross into this promised piece of property that God has said he's going to give to them. He is now calling them a nation, which is pretty cool. Um, That was not in my notes, so I'm just going to go back to my notes here so we stay on task. Uh, I like to rabbit trail sometimes, but what are some things we need to know, right? As we look at the story, as we look at at, uh, chapter 3, we get some more context of what's going on. They're at the Jordan River. The Jordan is at flood stage. That means there's a lot of water here. It's not like a little creek or a little brook. It's a big river. Even not at flood stage, the Jordan is a pretty decent-sized river. It's what flows from uh, the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. It's a big waterway. But at flood stage, in harvest time, it was ripping, right? Like, we've all seen a water or a river at flood stage. This is, this is a lot of water here. And also, the, sometimes I think details and facts help me think about what's really going on. How big is the nation of Israel at this point? Our best guess is it's somewhere between 1.5 and 3 million people. This is not 35 people. This is not 300 people. This is not 14,000 people the size of Worthington. 
This is probably closer to 3 million people crossing the Jordan River. It probably didn't happen in 10 minutes, right? It took time. It took time. Like, we're talking about men, fighting men. We're talking about women. We're talking about children. We're probably talking about livestock. Like, there's a lot of stuff to get across the river. And what I find fascinating is that the Ark of the Covenant with the priest was sent out into the middle of the river, and they stood there the entire time that the nation of Israel passed across the Jordan. They stood there the entire time. I don't know about you, but like just standing still is hard. And then to be like holding the Ark of the Covenant, like this, it's, we just read over it like, oh, they just walked out and they stood in the middle of the river. It probably took multiple hours, maybe even a full day for them to cross the Jordan. And these guys are just holding the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God for them in the middle of the Jordan, which is really, really cool. It says, in, it says in chapter 3 that the moment that the priest's feet touched the water, that the water was cut off. It was heaped up. And it even gives the town how far back the water was cut off. And it says that it was noted that the water stopped flowing into the Dead Sea. There are historical moments dictating that this water was cut off for a long time. And that the Israelites walked across the Jordan on dry ground. That's amazing. It's, it's not a small feat, and we can't just read over it. It says that the water was cut off. <clears throat> um, once the entire nation has crossed the Jordan, and then they get back into their tribes, which I don't even know how you go about doing that. Maybe they had flags or banners or, or those kind of things. Like, I've run, I've run camps for you know upwards of four or five hundred kids at a time, and like you get the counselors to be excited about like, hey, you got a flag for your cabin, and it's still chaos to try to get everybody to. I like to call it herding cats uh, when you try to get kids to go places. Um, Three million people gathering back into their tribes, back into their family groups. It says once the nation had crossed the Jordan, Joshua says, hey. I need 12 guys, one from every tribe. So how do you pick one guy? But he said he assigned them, and these 12 guys come to him at the bank of the Jordan. He says, walk back to the middle of the river where the Ark of the Covenant is and pick up a stone and bring it with you. I'm going to pick up a little stone. No, it doesn't. it's not like pick up a little stone. It says a rock, a stone that they carried on their shoulder. Like These are big stones, and they carry them with them to the place where they camp that night. Uh, I wrote here my notes. Ufta. Is that like a thing down here in Worthington still? Like, I know we're in Minnesota, but like, uh, we live in northern Minnesota where like the Scandinavian blood is thick and like, ufta. Is that a thing? Yeah? yeah kind of? Yeah, sure, you betcha. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Why? 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 did God give Joshua this instruction to bring these stones out of the Jordan? Why is it important? Why is it so important that it's in the text of the account of them entering into the promised land? I'll give you the answer, and then I'm going to go to my proof. The answer is because they are forgetful people. The Israelites, 
man, if you read the Old Testament, like you will see time and time and time again that the Israelites are forgetful people. They forget about how good God is to them. But as my, as my first proof for today, uh, I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter You guys don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you're welcome to. The first three verses of Exodus 16 say this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and then came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, the desert, the, uh, <clears throat> in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Here's a story, right? I'm sure you guys know this story, but this, this story takes place 40 years or so right before the story we just read in Joshua. So not that long in the grand scheme of things. They were given their freedom from being slaves in Egypt, and they're making their way out of Egypt, and then Pharaoh gets upset, and he sends his army after them, and Moses and Aaron lead them to the Red Sea, where God again works a miracle where he makes walls of water in the ocean, the sea, and they walk across it. I think, I think it's the Disney version of, of, of this story. Like, as the walls are up and there's, like, whales swimming in the ocean, you're like, that, that probably actually happened. That's pretty cool, actually, to think about. God, through Moses, parted the sea for the nation of Israel to walk across on dry land. And more than that, this army of Egypt is chasing them through this sea while they're walking and then he distracts them and cuts them off. And while the Israelites get across the sea, then God tells Moses to raise up his arms and the ocean comes crashing back down and he just decimates their enemies. He destroys them. He, he drowns them in the sea. God is providing for his people in a huge, miraculous way. And they get across the Dead Sea and in Exodus chapter 15, we have this beautiful song of worship and praise and declaration of how good God is in defending them. It's awesome. It's probably our first recorded corporate worship service in the Bible. And before chapter 15 even ends, the people of Israel are grumbling about being in the desert without water. It says three days into their journey, and it's continued here in, in uh, Exodus chapter 16. Just a short time in, they forget that God has just provided through miraculous ways for them to get across the, the Red Sea and to be free from the Egyptians. Hello? Is that good? I can hold the mic. That's okay. That's all right. 
Thank you very much. It's always fun for the AV team when the batteries go dead and they, they start scrambling. Ah, what do we do? What do we just pick up the microphone? Thanks, Uncle Glenn. <clears throat> just a short time after they walk across the Red Sea, they're grumbling. They've forgotten. They've forgotten how good God was to them. God wants them to remember that he has taken care of them. So why is this story in Joshua important for us today? Because I'm a forgetful person. And my guess is some of you are forgetful as well. Um, If we're honest about it, we forget all the time. All the times that he has been faithful and all the things that God has always done for us, we forget about them. Why is it important for us today? It is good to practice. It is good to practice and create altars of remembrance. Moments in time that we remember that God has been faithful to us time and time and time again. <clears throat> um, I'm just going to take a few minutes and, and talk about uh, some ways that my family, my family specifically, works on, on moments of remembering. How do we remember when God has been faithful to us. I'm going to say this one because uh, it, it's not written in my notes, but I meant to say it. Um, music. Music a big thing for uh, my, my family, Rachel and me and the kids. We love to sing things. Um, but as my uncle and my aunt are here, uh, that's true of my, my larger family. Um, there's this beautiful tradition that my grandparents started um, that when we have a family gathering, when we have a meal, we sing the doxology after we pray. Um, my grandparents both passed away a few years ago and, uh, it's still kind of hard to sing the doxology out loud, uh, because it's this moment of remembering these, this man and this woman who, who loved us and, and took care of our family and gave us examples to follow. That's a, that's a huge altar of remembering for me and my family. Uh, that, that simple, beautiful song of the doxology. I'm going to keep moving because I'm not going to cry uh, in front of you uh, on the first time I'm in front of you as a church. Um, <clears throat> but more specifically for Rachel and I and our family, uh, there's this, there's this um, going to big water for us that becomes these moments of remembrance for us. We made this giant trek to Virginia. Uh, and just so we're clear, I didn't go great because I'm back in Minnesota. So uh, just if you guys didn't put those dots together. Um, <clears throat> we got to Virginia. Uh, Rachel's mom and stepdad came with us. They were with us for a couple of days. We kind of moved all our stuff into this little apartment right next to the dining hall at camp. And then we drove her mom and stepdad to the airport to send them back to Minnesota. <laughs> and we're like, where's the closest beach? It was like an hour away, and uh, we're like, well, we're going. And so we get in the car, and we just we drove uh, to, to the ocean, to the beach, to be near big water. As, this, as a symbol that, you know what, we've made this huge transition. We've been called to a new community. But yet, there's some things about who we are and how God has wired us that we love to be uh, in big water. And so that was in uh, April. And nobody in Virginia goes to the beach in April. 
but people who are crazy from Minnesota go to the beach in April. And so we went to the beach and Ray and I swam and it was, it was great. It was fantastic. But there's, uh, there's other moments um, where, where big water has been these, these moments of remembering for, uh, for us that God is faithful in hard moments. Uh, last fall, after we moved back from Virginia, we got to go on vacation with some friends that we've been camping with for the last few years, and we decided to go camping in the UP, and it was awesome. It was beautiful. We hit the colors just right, and our car broke down and uh, left us stranded for three days in a town called Eagle Harbor, Michigan, which is just south of Copper Harbor on the Keweenaw Peninsula. And after a whole day of running around trying to figure out how I'm going to get this car fixed, literally in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, because it's the UP and it's nowhere, Michigan. And uh, there was not much I could do except throw my hands up and wait. Uh, So Ray and I went swimming in Lake Superior on September 23rd. Again, we're the crazy people from northern Minnesota. We like big water. Um, but it's this, it's this memory that I have with Ray. Uh, and, and, man, there was just a, a dear, sweet family who loved on us so well in that moment. And just swimming in Lake Superior in front of their resort right there in Eagle Harbor. It's this, it's this memory that reminds me that God was faithful in the midst of a hard moment. Uh, four years ago in November, Rachel's dad passed away. Uh, we're both pretty young. And, and to have to have walked through losing a parent already uh, was hard and, and still is hard. Um, but on the one-year anniversary of, of Rachel's dad's uh, passing, um, we chose to take some time off, and we went to the North Shore, and we went to this beach called Sugarloaf. Maybe you guys have explored the North Shore, and, and if you've been to Sugarloaf, it's awesome. It's fun to explore with little kids. And, and Rachel's got this rock, and, and she picked up a rock that day, and she wrote Sugarloaf on it. And it's just a simple reminder that when she sees that rock, it's a reminder that we took the time to remember that we're still grieving the loss of her dad. And, it, and it's a good reminder. It's a hard reminder, but it's a good reminder. Big Water hasn't always just been a marker of hard things for us, too. Uh, I, I'm, I didn't ask Rachel if I could share this story, so <clears throat> good luck. Um, once upon a time, her brother got married in Hawaii, and uh, we got to go. Who knows? Who knew uh, that you could do that? Uh, but uh, while we were in Hawaii, um, we had been really focused on working to get ourselves out of debt. And, and two months, three months before we went to Hawaii, uh, we had made our last debt payment. And it was kind of this, that was this thing that we're like, well, we want to be out of debt before we start a family. And so in Hawaii, next to the, the ocean, uh, we made the decision that we were going to start, start having kids took a while. Uh, so it didn't happen in Hawaii. If you guys, sorry, I can't share that stuff out loud. Um, um, so big water has been this, this continuation of, of moments of reminding us that God has been faithful when life feels like it's swirling, when life feels like it's out of control. Have you guys ever stood by the ocean and watched the waves crash in on the beach. There's something powerful about that. Especially if it's after a hurricane. Um, big, strong waves. They're so big and so strong that you cannot control them. 
But God's word tells us that we serve a God who commands the winds and the waves. That's pretty cool. So big water has been a good reminder for us that God is faithful. Uh, I think there, there are other people besides just us who have used uh, rocks uh, to, to create moments of remembering, right? We, see, we read about it here in Joshua, and we're going to go back to that here in just a second. Um, uh, Rachel has that rock from Sugarloaf. Um, I just have to be clear. I'm not fully endorsing this. Uh, no, you know what? You know what? I'm, I am endorsing this movie. Uh, it's older. You guys, most of you have probably seen it if you're adults. Saving Private Ryan, greatest war movie ever made. You guys catch it that the sergeant is filling jars with dirt from every country that he's been in. He's making specific, tangible memories that he survived to make it to the next country. Right? He's making these these altars of remembrance. Maybe his motivation isn't faithful, God's faithfulness, but, but we can do the same thing. <clears throat> then there's a couple, there's a couple uh, really simple things that my family and I do to create moments of remembering God's faithfulness. One of them is we'll just all get on Rachel's in my bed together. We just like, we need a place to be. We've been in transition for two years, and this bed is this, this anchor point. And uh, maybe maybe Ray and I are wrestling, and <laughs> Rachel's trying to protect AJ from the hands and feet that are flailing on bed, or or maybe we're curled up and we're watching a movie together. Uh, but it's this it's this place that has been um, steady in the midst of change. Uh, and the and this, the last example is, is similar. Um, we actually got to have a moment uh, where we did this on the way down here yesterday. We stopped at a we stopped at a property in Sacred Heart, Minnesota, where I've been had the privilege of hunting deer uh, since I was 14 years old, and uh, it was the first time that I got to take Rachel and Ray to that property. And we we hiked up one of the one of the bluffs. It's kind of down in the in the Minnesota River Valley, so it's these beautiful ravines. And we climbed up on one of these ravines in the power cut, and, and you can see just the beauty of God's creation there in the river Valley. And what do we, what do we do in those moments? We, we love family hugs just to stop and to hug each other and to hold each other and to, to remember the moment of just being there together. Um, Turning notes is harder when you're holding a mic. So here's the deal. We forget. We forget all the time that God has been faithful. And it's not just that God has has been faithful. God is faithful. He is the same today, tomorrow, and yesterday. He has not moved. He will not change. He is faithful. But we forget. Right? We forget. The Israelites walked across the Dead Sea on dry ground. It says that the, the ocean had walls of water. They walked across on, de- on, on dry ground. They got to the other side, and they grumbled. He dried up the river and helped them to build a sign. Why? 
so that they would remember that God was faithful, that they would remember that God is powerful, and that they should fear the Lord. I want to, I want to jump ahead in, in, in Joshua chapter 4 to the end of the chapter. Uh, if you guys are still open your Bibles, you guys can join me in verse 19 through the end. <clears throat> this is after they had, they've, they've moved on to, to across the Jordan and, and things are coming together in the plans. And so here on verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan that he, did, that he had done to the Red Sea, when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24, pay attention. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. I am thankful that God is merciful enough to not be angry with us after we grumble time and time again after we forget all that he's done for us. And God isn't just merciful to forgive us and to give us another chance. God is merciful enough to give us another chance. And then in the midst of that chance to say, you know what? I'm going to add something to the provision. And, it's, and it's, I'm going to give you a way to make a memory. To make this, this altar. To bring these stones with you. To place them so that you won't forget that God was faithful. So how can we practice Remembering starting today. How can we remember better, more fully, more often that God is faithful? Where are the moments in your life worth marking that God continued his faithfulness? I'm going to ask that question again. Where are the moments in your life worth asking uh, worth marking, sorry is what I said, where are the moments in your, in your life worth marking that God continued his faithfulness? How do you mark them so that others can be reminded? How do we mark them so that ourselves can be reminded? Right? These, are, these, are, these are big questions, and yet there can be simple answers. My family goes to big water. My family gathers on our bed. My family gives each other a hug. My family finds a song that we like to sing together. They don't have to be big and grand and, and ginormous things. But when we take the time to set up bringing a stone out of the river so that it can be a sign so that we can be reminded that God has been faithful, we're better for it. We can be encouraged by it. And on the days when we start to grumble ourselves, because remember, I'm a forgetful person. Even if I practice remembering while I'm a forgetful person, if we set up these signs, we can look back to those signs and we can remember that God has always been faithful and will continue to be faithful. 
So begin to practice remembering. Building signs to remind us that God is powerful, that God is faithful, and he has never stopped being God. And that will be true for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come and, and close our time in song. But let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good to us. That you, you know how you created us, and you know that you created us to be forgetful. But God, that you desire to be in relationship with us so much that you encourage us to bring stones out of the river to make a sign that we will remember forever your faithfulness and your goodness. God, I pray, I pray that I'm thankful for all the ways that you have given my family the opportunity to remember your faithfulness. And God, I pray over these families that are present here that you would give them the opportunity to have conversations about how do we remember God's faithfulness in our past and how do we start to remember well, to, to make markings that remind us of your faithfulness. God, encourage us to keep our eyes fixed on you. The only thing that doesn't move in the midst of the swirling wind and rain of life. Thank you that we can have joy and we can have the privilege of being in relationship with you. Help us to remember your steadfastness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.